there. You're listening to the Steve Fun Speak On It podcast. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by our hosts and guest panelists are their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Steve Fund. Before we begin our conversation, it is important to note that the information shared on this podcast cannot and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with a health or mental health care professional. If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to a health or mental health provider or the Steve Fund Crisis Text Line, which you can access by texting STEVE to 741-741. Thank you and enjoy. everyone, welcome to our first episode of Speak On It Season 2, Secrets of Wellbeing. This season will be focusing on mental well-being as valuable in its own right and not just as an asset to advancing education or career, but a means for students and young people of color to stay centered and thrive. Drawing inspiration from the six dimensions of wellness and stated by the National Wellness Institute, we will be exploring occupational, emotional, physical, social, intellectual, and spiritual health and how they intersect with mental well-being. In today's episode, we will be discussing occupational well-being, as well as maintaining balance and boundaries in the workplace. Joining us today are Francesca Miller and Carol Jacob. Francesca Miller is from Columbus, Ohio, and is a local artist and an alumna of Ohio State University. Her capsule for Abercrombie & Fitch is part of the For Justice collection, For Justice, For Joy, and Celebrates Black Joy. Carol Jacob is a current MPH candidate who is interested in combining her interests of encouraging individuals to prioritize their health realistically and focusing on the social inequities that create disparities in healthcare. Carol has participated in the Pediatric Summer Scholars Internship for two consecutive years to enrich and expand knowledge about various research techniques and community-based research topics. Thank you for having me, very excited to be here. Yes, thank you. Such an honor and pleasure. I'm excited. Rosebud and thorn. A rose is something beautiful. A thorn is a pain and a bud is something you're looking forward to. My thorn, the thing that irritated me was like, I got a new tire um, and an oil change and found out that I have to get a new battery. So that's always exciting, you know, to have to spend money in your car. Um, something good that happened this week. I had a friend who had a dream that I was actually going to uh, paint, do an album cover for Tori Kelly. So that's exciting. I mean, it didn't actually happen, but you know, I love dreams. Um, so that's always great news. <laughs> and um, the last one was like something I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm really looking forward to finishing this mural. I've been working on it like all week tirelessly and I just hit the home stretch today. Um, so the next time I go and work on it, I know it will be the last. So really looking forward to that. So I guess for this week, the thorn would be that I have my first chem midterm this week. And it's only been two weeks of school. And it's unfortunate that I can't really form study groups just yet because everyone is sort of just as lost as I am. And it's like the blind leading the blind, which is okay, I guess, but it'll be fine. <laughs> um, my rose for this week, something good that has happened. I got to hang out with a couple of my high school friends um, before they like leave off to college, at, like the different UCs. So they start like next week. So it was really cool to like hang out with them because they came to Berkeley. And then a bud, something um, that I'm hopeful for. Um, well, let's see, there's like club stuff and then there's um, this undergraduate research program that I'm like looking um, forward to. I kind of have to read through all the descriptions of like what I'm interested in. So far, I think it's like plant genetics that's kind of sparked my interest right now. Um, I think my thorn for this week is the amount of readings that I have um, for my classes. I wasn't anticipating it. Um, I mean, graduate programs, I guess I should have, but it's just a lot to like keep track of. Um, so that'll probably be what I'm spending the rest of this weekend doing. Um, but they've been really cool um, things so far. In terms of a rose, I just finished um, doing like a little coffee date with a friend. Um, and we just were catching up with each other and just like uh, getting to know one another a little bit better. So that was nice. And then a 
but is uh, my birthday is coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, so I am looking to maybe like do some sort of hangout or some sort of like celebration um, with some close friends that I haven't seen in a hot minute. Um, so a thorn for this week, and I guess the last couple of weeks, I haven't been able to see my dog because he lives with my parents and uh, we've been traveling a little bit. So it's been a couple of weeks, which is quite a long time for me because he um, helps me a lot with my anxiety and just, just being there. Um, but I get to see him in a couple of days, so it's okay. Um, and then a rose, I got to do a little virtual night with a couple of friends of mine who live far away. Um, I think with everything going on in our lives, it's been difficult to connect and, and catch up. So we all really prioritized um, an evening so that we could be with each other. We just cringe watch Twilight. It was awesome for two and a half hours. <laughs> um, and I think a bud would be, um, I went to Colorado over the long weekend. So got it spent a lot of time outdoors in the mountains and hiking. And I guess my plan now is to find um, some, some local hiking trails around here that I can, I can use to spend that time once the weather cools down a little bit more. Thank you everyone for sharing your roses, buds, and thorns for this week. And I guess to start off, let's define occupational well-being. According to the National Wellness Institute and Iowa State University's Student Wellness Center, occupational wellness, or as we're calling it, well-being, uh, can be described as how one recognizes personal satisfaction and enrichment in one's life through work, in addition to achieving balance between work and leisure. Uh, so, Francesca and Carol, what are your initial thoughts when presented with this concept? So, for me, the healthy boundaries, that, that's what comes up first. So, I, obviously, finding the content in, in what you're doing is very important. But I think in order to be able to do that and really find fulfillment in what you're doing, you need to set those boundaries first. Like, that's very, very important to find that balance between uh, your work and your leisure time. Um, because they fuel each other, you know, being able to balance them well. I like how you guys both mentioned boundaries as being an essential concept for regarding occupational well-being. And I guess currently in my life, now that I look back, I guess for the past two weeks of college, I've sort of just been focusing a lot on academics. And I would realize that my day would move a lot slower and it'd be a lot more dull when all I do is sit in the library and go from like different place to place, like doing chemistry or like math or anything of the sort. And I feel like in the past, I learned that if you are able to set aside time, like I used to have boundaries, but I don't know what happened to them. They just like got tossed out the window. <laughs> but I used to have boundaries where I'd set time for like going out to go run or going up to meet with people. And it was a lot easier, I think, in high school because like you know, you're with the same people, but in college you're not, and everyone has different schedules. But yeah, I think setting boundaries really helped me academically and emotionally because it felt like I was doing something more with my life than just sitting with like a textbook in front of me. And yeah, I kind of miss it. Like I've tried to wake up early in the morning to do something fun in my life, but you know, sleep is also one of my favorite things to do. So yeah, I think I need to start setting healthy boundaries. For some people that I've seen, like the way that they maintain balance and boundaries is like within a day, they like cut off their work time and they're like, after 5 p.m., I'm out. Like that is, not, this is my me time. And other people, they kind of do it according to the week where it's like, okay, I'm going to go hard and fast and, you know, like real professional Monday through Friday, but then the weekend is my time. And that's when I'm just going to, you know, like have fun and enjoy my space during that, con uh, during that period. I'm so sorry. I think my cat found a lizard. <laughs> you brought up a really good point that like, it's a personal thing. Like nobody knows the needs that we have like we do. I think that it can also change with time because where you're working, how you're working, it can, it can change a lot, especially when we're just getting into the career world. Um, so sometimes it can be hard to establish these really um, set rules that you might not be able to carry on with every every job you have, every occupation you have. Um, and adding school into the mix of leisure and work can add one more layer of, of boundaries you'll have to set so that you don't completely go insane. 
your boundaries don't have to be set, I don't believe. Like they can change from a, um, like a day-to-day basis. To kind of connect it with like BIPOC experiences and for our listeners, uh, BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. Um, what are some of y'all's experiences or experiences that you've heard or seen from others uh, as related to occupational well-being? Great question. And it's so interesting that this is even the conversation right now because that's the space that I'm finding myself in, um, recognizing my need to establish healthy boundaries with my work. Um, as an artist, you are an entrepreneur. You set your own schedule, really. You know, you have, uh, it's a lot of work. And sometimes the deadlines are just not really even seeming like fair, you know, um, a lot of times. But for me, I know it's a matter of me like really knowing myself. Like I know that I am the kind of person like I focus, I hyper focus, you know. So once I get into a groove of things, I just want to go, go, go. And then I'll hit a burnout. And for so I've been doing art full time for um, a little bit over a year now. I quit my job back in June and just started doing art full time. So it's given me a little bit of time to learn myself a bit, you know. Um, And so that's like, there's just uh, patterns that I've recognized within myself. And that that I just mentioned is like probably the biggest one um, that like just wanting to go, go, go paint murals all day, every day, you know, being really excited, saying yes to every opportunity that comes my way um not resting you know I would I mean I would like as soon as I would wake up as soon as my feet hit the ground I'm like ready to walk out the house working until the sun goes down you know and then coming home and just like neglecting myself um and I'm like just because I can do that doesn't mean that I should I completely understand that um I honestly didn't really know what occupational well-being could be for a really long time. Um, I was kind of raised with this idea that, you know, you got to work hard to, you know, get ahead. And what that means is if you have a job, you do everything you can in that job to stay in that job. Um, I think that comes from a very um, immigrant-based perspective. It's something that my dad would often tell me, um, I think when I went for like my first internships, he would mention something like, if they ask you to do something, you always say yes, because they need to show, you need to show them that you're interested and that you're a hard worker and you're not gonna, you know, back out or not do something they tell you to do because that respect is really important. So that's kind of what I went with. Um, I was a very task-based person. I um, would have a ridiculous amount of tasks that I would put on my list for the day. Um, And then if I didn't complete all of them to my full capabilities, I would feel terrible for the rest of the day. Um, And it's taken a lot of time to sort of unlearn some of that. Um, And I'm not saying in any way that means, you know, don't work hard for what you like to do. But if you give those breaks to yourself and if you establish realistic goals and spend time for yourself or spend time away from work, you'll actually be able to do a better job while you're at work um, because you can actually dedicate your energy to what you're doing rather than be burnt out the entire time. And I love how you mentioned the like immigrant perspective. And I think like I've also seen this in some of the discourse like on Twitter and social media from like other um, like BIPOC individuals where Uh, It's the concept of, like, if you're working hard, you know, like, eventually, like, there will be a payout, like, there'll be a promotion, there'll be a whatever, they'll recognize your work, and um, I think that does happen, but there have also been circumstances where that becomes the new normal for your, like, supervisors, and they kind of expect you to, like, keep up that momentum and continuously do that, and then if you don't, it kind of switches their perspective on you where it's like, oh, you're slacking off when in reality you may be doing the like minimum and or like the actual like average amount of work that all your other colleagues have been doing the whole time. And so there, it places more expectations on you as a result of which, um, and I've definitely had experiences with that and it's a tricky situation to kind of step back on. 
that's another thing that I find myself in trying to find the balance between when I actually need to rest and then when I'm just being lazy you know like what is that like how do you even define it and again I feel like in a way it's another one of those like personal things you know as far as your value system now obviously if you're like "Mm, I don't feel like going to work today I'm just gonna roll over and just you know whatever like that's probably not the the best idea you know you're being pretty irresponsible and putting yourself at risk of losing your job or whatever the case is but um just like figuring out okay um I'm trying to think of a personal example okay for example like I said with me with art uh there are deadlines that are set typically right but honestly with art it's extremely flexible now it looks good on you to like meet those you know when they're first established um but I know personally I have definitely had some times in which I've been just like very unrealistic in trying to meet deadlines you know and to the point where I will stay up like try and pull an all-nighter to finish a project and it's like is it really worth it like okay yeah I may feel like it makes me look bad if I need to push the deadline back or you know, whatever the case is, but it's like, at the end of the day, I really value my rest and my well-being, and I know myself in my capacity. I know if I stay up till 5 a.m. trying to finish this painting, it's going to turn out looking like trash, (laughs) as opposed to if I just ask or, you know, talk to whoever's commissioning me and be like, hey, so I know I set this date, um, but can we move it back? When I was an undergrad, I had a very different mindset because I was under the impression that if I'm sleeping for the appropriate amount of time, I'm just not doing enough of the work. It was that bad before I had to kind of step back and be like, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> um, and really it's, I, I wish I had learned this sooner, but I think rather, I think it's quality over quantity. What has helped me is figure out what times during the day I'm most productive because when I'm productive, I feel like I can get tasks done faster. I'm more focused. There was a saying that I heard a lot during undergrad and associate. It's like, I can sleep when I die or something when it's like studying all the time. And it's like, honestly, I think that just builds into the um, issue of like students like being sleep deprived and like uh, just the conversation of like, you're there to learn. And, you know, like when you're not functioning at 100% with sleep deprivation, are you really learning? I think there's just an overall, a very toxic student environment sometimes in undergrad. But I think that students have these weird comparisons, at least in my experience, where they're like comparing how much sleep they get and how much coffee they've drank or how many assignments or how many classes they have to complete. Um, And it becomes this like really weird competition of how much you're not taking care of yourself and it's like the person who's most sleep deprived and caffeine based like wins the what you win the biggest bags out of this whole group congratulations <laughs> you the biggest bag. bag you got louis vuittons on your face <laughs> congratulations yeah. yeah but like it's difficult like as a student to take any sort of mental health day is sort of like you're jeopardizing your future because you kind of go to school to sort of sell yourself to people to make money and like play into the whole role of capitalism and there are like other like social determinants that affect it so it's like there's really no break because if you take a break it just gets pushed over to the next day it's very toxic you know and it does like you said we are we're conditioned to get ready for our capitalistic society you know um and I think like what could be helpful I think this is where you have to find ways to like kind of incorporate leisure into your work almost you know like try and make it fun like even something as simple as like you know a change of environment instead of studying at the library or somewhere inside of school like go to a park you know or go to just somewhere different a different scenery more relaxing nature um, maybe switch up your study tactics or your work tactics if you're in your career whatever the case is like find ways to make it fun I know for me again back to art um, people think art is like just fun all the time no <laughs> it's a bit stressful a lot of times especially when you are creating for other people because it's like you're trying to figure out how to take their vision and you know flesh it out um, and so a lot of times I'll be in my studio 
or just wherever like kind of racking my brain and I'm like oh I need to get out of here like I've been in here for hours you know um so then I'll just have a change of scenery or I'll go and you know do some art as a friend just try to make it feel nice and fun um so yeah I think those moments are like really important because like you said you don't want to push it off and then you're getting anxious because you're thinking about the fact that I'm laying down and I'm watching tv but all this work plus more is going to be waiting for me the next day um, so yeah, finding ways to help alleviate the stress, but also be productive at the same time. Yeah, and I think like what I found uh, during undergrad is like I've also found the um, pre-med world a bit um, competitive and toxic because of the weird um, Olympic games that Carol was mentioning earlier that they do. Um, and I found that um, being very conscientious of like who's in your social circle mm -hmm. and making sure that like, you know, you have friends there that build you up as opposed to maybe playing you down a bit. Um, Cause I know that, yeah, like I'm thinking back to all my undergrad friends that we were like purposely like avoiding people like that just to be able to like breathe and be able to work better <laughs> together. Those boundaries. <laughs> that, that, yes, definitely. Um, I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say it, it can be helpful to sit around yourself with people who are doing, you know, classes similar to you, but use college and I guess like any time in your life as an experience to get to know people because they're people you want to get to know, not people who you can use as resources all the time because I don't know, and this goes back to the toxic environment, but there's like rankings of majors and condescending looks to certain majors and sometimes that just meant that I couldn't be friends with a lot of pre-med people because I just I didn't think about it the same way I was also a sociology minor um, and you know I would get comments like oh that's not really important that's just a elective part or that's just something that you know liberal arts that's not that. that's nothing <laughs> it's like, no that takes a lot more thought at least it, for me, it took a lot more to, to learn and I learned, um, and that's part of the reason why I'm in the field I am today. So uh, yes, it, it takes a little bit of work and you know, setting those boundaries as Francesca mentioned uh, with the people um, you're spending time with can make a really big difference. What have been ways that y'all have um, maybe experience like microaggressions or racism like within like occupational like settings and how have y'all dealt with those circumstances while maintaining your own well-being? Luckily I've been in a lot of great work environments where even if the entire four staff weren't exactly understanding the people I had to directly deal with were often very understanding um, um, and patient, but I've definitely, and you know, you don't notice it sometimes until much later, and then you think about it, and you're like, was that a microaggression? I'm not That's quite true. sure. You know what I mean? And then by then, you're like, it's too late to go back mm -hmm. and confront it, and I don't want to deal with all of that because that takes a lot of mental energy for me. Um, but I was a receptionist for a little bit of time, and I think that. I also became the person who had to listen to everybody talk about like the coworkers they didn't like, the people that they didn't want to be around. And I understand frustrations to a certain extent, um, but I think they just thought I would, I don't know, I guess submissively listen and um, take in all of that and give, I don't know what they were expecting, but I was like, okay, I mean, we have HR and people that might be more helpful, but um that's fine <laughs> um and I think other than that I've had some questions just about like my culture or something very mm. off base um and then I would just be kind of confused by the question but um I tend to for things like that at this point I'm like I don't want to spend the energy trying to retaliate because I have better things to do <laughs> absolutely Absolutely. And now that she says that, I'm thinking back to some experiences and I was like, oh, no, I do have a couple of things to share. So thankfully, my employers have been great, but I have had some coworkers in some areas where, like you said, after the fact, you were like, uh, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, um, and I'm very similar in the sense, you know, most people will make you feel like 
you should have retaliated. You should have corrected her. You should have said X, Y, and Z. And the same thing that you said, Carol, it's like, do I even want to give my energy to that? You know, because in a sense, that's establishing a boundary too. That's, you know, prioritizing my own health in some capacity. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, feed into whatever trap you're trying to set for me, or, you know, I'm not going to give you the response that you're probably even anticipating I will have to confirm whatever stereotypes you have about me or like whatever the case is. Um, So yeah, I've definitely had some experiences, not anything too, too crazy. I think it's just a lot of the experiences have been more sort of ignorance, you know, Um, like something like (laughs) this one time, this woman in a work environment, like walked up and just started playing with my hair. My hair is locked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She just started playing with now in that case I did I was like please don't touch my hair you know like don't do that you don't just walk up and just touch somebody but she just started playing with my hair and like asking me all these questions and was sharing how like her best friend is black and she like would braid her yes I was like oh wow (laughs) um and you know maybe I'm bad but it was kind of entertaining to me like it just really tickled me (laughs) you know that, that whole interaction um a lot of people it pisses them off for obvious reasons but for me I kind of got a kick out of it so (laughs) I was like oh man so the stories because I see these stories all the time and so to actually have experienced it you know for myself I was like wow so all right (laughs) um but yeah even in that case like I said I kindly asked her to you know don't touch my hair but I wasn't about to make a whole scene about it First of all, I think just, like, trying to do the, like, mind logic hoops of, like, why she would think her friendship with her Black friend was transferable over to you to play with your hair. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Um, But I was going to say, like, um, I think for me, I've had experiences of being tokenized as, uh, and it was very evident because my supervisor was the one that told me that I was essentially a diversity hire as the only like Asian within the organization which no it like was wild to me that first of all that they would even tell me that um but then it became a situation where you know like I would interact with a lot of coworkers, and some of them would be like oh like you're the new hire like you're the new person that they hired and I was like okay I guess everyone knows who I am because of my like racial identity um, and like, you know, some of the things that they mentioned, like, for example, I really just like eating like um, Asian food because it's like cheap and delicious. But like, I had a couple coworkers that are like, is that all you eat? Like, you only eat like fried rice or stuff like that. And I'm like, I've never experienced these type of microaggressions before. <laughs> and like, I just like kind of laughed and like try to pass it off. Cause like, like y'all were saying, I just didn't have that energy to like, put up like a whole entire thing and then I was also unsure if like my the organizational hierarchy in the first place would be supportive even if I were to kind of like escalate it to that level so it's just like I'm just gonna laugh it off and then if it happens again just call them out if need be um but like kind of similar to on that note like same workplace um they also have like a weird thing with like salaries and not discussing salaries openly with people and so like I was a little confused because at the time I had uh like certain degrees and whatever and I was just like asking some of my coworkers, I'm like hey like how much do y'all get paid like salary wise just to make sure that you know like we're at an even place and no one's getting paid more or whatever um and it was kind of like a workplace environment where it's like oh salaries and money is just like a taboo topic we're not going to discuss this for most of my life like at working working anywhere salaries weren't discussed and I just thought it was a taboo topic and I thought it was because you were being disrespectful if you ask a person for their salary or like what they're making that's something that again that's another thing I I was taught or I saw I I grew up um, seeing that Um, and then it was recently I realized that's 
<laughs> the capitalistic ruse to make sure that people don't know that there are other people making more money than them. So now I feel more confident and less afraid to ask, or even if it's my, like, I have no problem discussing my salary. So I'll just ask, does this make sense? Um, especially being in a new field and not knowing kind of what the standards are, um, asking other people for their expertise can be really helpful, I think. Um, but yes, now, moving forward, I will be doing that, but I didn't do it before. In terms of salaries, sometimes it's important to like know your self-worth. I know that I've seen like in like a lot of small businesses and things, they would compare their work to other people's work and be like, oh, okay, so I'm not like as experienced as them and anything like that. So they would like market their products for cheaper. And I think it's important that even if, whether or not you're like, you have your own small business or you're, I guess, working for someone, like, yeah, you can ask them to like sort of get like, like, a ground like like a basis for like what's the norm but mm. you should also recognize your self-worth and like be bold and ask for promotion I don't know if that's allowed I know I've talked to like some like MBA students or they're like they know that they feel they're not like pretentious or they they just know that they just know their worth kind of and they're confident to ask like a race they're like yeah there's like no harm in doing it like ask people for internships like at your age right now and just kind of sell yourself to them and I guess like I don't know just know yourself worth you're more than what you may think that's another thing I wished I'd done in undergrad I was terrified to reach out to anybody that wasn't a student whether if it was a staff member or faculty I was just um, very intimidated um I didn't know how to do that, but um, going into grad school, that's something that I've really tried to push myself to do. I try to make connections. I try to reach out. And um, often um, I find that people are excited to talk about like, their career path and how they got to where they are. So I would definitely recommend if you feel comfortable with like certain people to reach out and ask questions and see if they have opportunities because often they're, they're open to, to answering those. I would ditto that. And then just to kind of expand on what you were mentioning, Caitlin, about knowing your self-worth, um, I think that's really important because, like, I think there have been studies that indicate that, like, um, BIPOC women in particular, I think Black women in particular, tend not to apply to jobs that they perceive as, like, they're not qualified for, whereas, like, counterpart, like, white males tend to, you know, typically apply and usually get a lot of jobs that they may not be qualified for in comparison. Um, so I think it's like really important to be able to like take that into consideration as well, like during like your jobs and again, making sure that you're being compensated because as much as money may be a taboo subject, um, it is essential to be able to pay um, for other components to maintain your own well-being, whatever it may be. So I think that's important consideration yeah absolutely it's so funny that you mentioned that because that's something that I think a lot so I'm really like thankful that I have a lot of older and more established professional artists um surrounding me of many different like just very a very diverse team um and so a lot of times when I'll go to them and ask them questions like, hey, you know, I got this opportunity or these people reached out to me and wanted me to do this for them. Um, a lot of times those who I reach out to, well, they're all different, but one particular friend in mind I'm thinking about is a white woman. Um, and she's always pushing me to be like, well, hey, no, know your worth, know like, you know, white, man artist whatever is getting paid this at so-and-so's organization like it's okay for you to you know demand your worth you don't have to settle for petty change and, you know as an artist in general like that's an occupation where I'm not a starving artist and I believe starving artists has died I don't even think that term is really valid anymore um but it's obviously not at the top of the pay uh pay rate as far as careers in um, our society go um so you have that already but yeah I'm definitely pushed all the time to just be like no like you are wor worth way more especially in comparison to when you hear about like what other people get paid to do projects I remember one time fun story I saw this canvas um it was probably 
it was smaller than the size of the palm of my hand. I don't have a big hand at all. <laughs> and it maybe had like three mountains and something painted on it, you know, and it was priced at like $125. And at that time, I was charging 150 flat rate for a painting on a canvas the size of, uh, I believe it was like 16 by 20. And I was like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah, I was like, what am I? You mean to tell me somebody had the audacity to charge, you know, 125 for that? Like, what am I doing? I need to aim higher because, you know, um, yeah, just so many different stories of like things like that. Actually, another fun story. One time I walked into um, a gallery and I saw these like massive canvases. It was four of them. They were all like glued together and hanging from the ceiling. It was an installation by some artists. Um and the price was like $4,000. The canvases were just white. That was it. Like they were just white, but they were hanging from the ceiling. And I was like, okay, you know what? <laughs> I was like, we're throwing out the big numbers because this is ridiculous. Yeah, I think I saw this one thing. I think it was like on social media or something that I saw it. It was where um, this person was trying to sell his or her paintings for like $25 or something, but he or she wasn't like getting any like felt like any like bidders, I guess, mm -hmm. from it. And then someone gave him the advice to mark it up by 10 or 20 times the amount. And then that's when he finally got it. And I think it's because like we live in like this capitalistic like society. It's sort of like the more expensive it is, the more valuable it must be. Mm -hmm. It's like you'll see the same, like let's say there's like some object and there's like one on Amazon for like I don't know forty dollars and then you have it at Target for like five dollars yeah I don't know it's weird people would buy the forty dollar Amazon one because it's like oh look at that it's like you know there's also some reviews on there but there's no reviews on like an in-store product so you know absolutely and we're forty dollar one must be better you know yeah exactly I think that's our mindset a lot of the time like we're taught that if it's cheaper then something's wrong with it. It's broken or, you know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes people may have that same mentality when it comes to um, art, you know, um, by you feeling that you're only worth this certain small amount, it makes a statement to the person. A lot of times people don't even know this, but subconsciously that's what they're thinking. Like, oh, your art's only worth that much. Well, I'm not going to buy it. Like you said, another fun story, my uncle shared it with me. He's a photographer and does like everything digital. Um, he had like a big name company reach out to him when he was in college and they uh, asked him to do a project for them and he only charged them $75. Now they were like, okay, you know, we'll consider that. He said, ended up finding out they went with somebody else who had charged them $150, but his work, the quality of his work was lower than my uncle's. And he was like, that's when he started to teach me that lesson of like, you make sure you know, that your numbers are like making a statement that you know your worth, that you are valuable, that you are like a quality product or producer. One more topic before we move on, if everyone's okay with this, um, is I would like to discuss familial piety, if that's how it's pronounced, um, which is essentially kind of like a sense of familial obligation. And I kind of added this in because as like a first-gen um child of like immigrants in the states um there's sometimes some pressure for me to be able to reflect some of the sacrifices and some of the investments that my parents made mm -hmm. to ensure that my brother and I for example were able to succeed here in the states with our education I'm sure this goes across like other like minority groups as well in terms of like the blood, sweat, and tears and sacrifices that our parents had to make to ensure that we were able to uh, do some vertical climbing in that social ladder to kind of establish future generations. Um, and kind of like discussing like, how do we juggle that sensation with our own occupation and by extension, our occupational well-being? Yes, there's this constant um, either they'll remind you themselves or it's always just ingrained into your mind that they, and, you know, obviously this is in no way saying that what they went through was okay, or they should have just, you know, dealt with it. 
Um, but yes, there's this idea that they've gone through so much. They've left what they found was comfortable. What they found was their home to give their children a better life. And I think in a lot of immigrant communities, they're very child-centric. So it's like all about the family, all about the kids getting um, a better life than they did. Um, so you have a lot of standards that you set for yourself. And on top of that, the standards your family sets for you. Um, and sometimes you're kind of living for your family standards until you burst out of it because you just can't handle it anymore. Uh, that was my personal experience. I think um, for me personally, like med school was the idea. And I guess I just kind of went with it when I was younger because I was like, this makes sense. And I, I like what it's trying to do. But then as I got into undergrad, I realized like this is not it for me. There's, I, I like to look at health in a different, uh, broader perspective. Um, and it took a long time for me to prioritize my needs for that because I felt like I was betraying the hard work that my parents put in. Mm -hmm. uh, therapy helps <laughs> go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, use, you know, really make sure that this, in the end, what you're doing, it, it's going to be affecting you the most. And ultimately, hopefully your family can understand that you're, you know, doing what you love and you're, you're making change in the way that you want to make that change. I don't know. I feel like maybe what might be common in the Black experience is trying to figure out how to get out of the current state of being, you know, so it's not necessarily, I mean, you definitely have that pressure or whatever you know those statements of like you know your ancestors fought for this that and the third these freedoms these rights these opportunities um but then when you have a lot of us who've just grown up in uh settings that were like or I should say conditions that were just not the best you know and you looked at the way life was around you and you're like I don't want to live like this you know um and so I think sometimes there's that type of familiar pressure or like you want your younger siblings, younger cousins, nieces and nephews, whoever, to have a different experience than you. Um, and so for me personally, like I know, you know, you hear, I remember when I started going to college, I've been graduated, I graduated in 2019 from OSU, but um, when I was in college, I remember, you know, I met a lot of people, you know, you hear stuff about like, oh yeah, I had uh, this money set away. My dad paid for college out of pocket, you know, just stuff. You're like, what? Like, I thought everybody got student loans, you know? I didn't know, like, your dad bought half the school? Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> no, I'm joking, but um, yeah, so when I would just meet people and hear stories like that, like, oh, you're financially literate. You know what investing is you had money set aside for you when you turn to a certain age you don't live paycheck to paycheck you know like just stuff like that um it made me be just a lot more like conscious about those types of things you know and think about like the things that I want to be in place for like my children when I have them or like for my siblings children my younger cousins and things like that when you just pay attention to like other members in your family who may not have that same mentality but you love their kids so much and you're like, I don't, I don't want you to have to suffer because, you know, your parents didn't make great decisions or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the pressure that I feel personally, nobody put that on me. Um, but it is kind of just a byproduct of being black in America, you know, um, is that there have, there are these systems in place that have put us in certain positions and, uh, where it's not a common thing to, you know, be wealthy, to be financially literate, like all of that type of stuff. Um, times are changing a bit, you know, I'm seeing a lot of my black and brown sisters out here, <laughs> um, just becoming more conscious of that. Uh, so me personally, I'm trying to do that, but trying to figure out how that even fits, like being an artist, you know, um, it looks a lot different. And it goes back to that trying to establish that boundary of not working myself into a grave as an artist, taking every project that comes my way. I'm just going to connect this like to season one of our podcast, because we briefly talked about um, expectations, like what are they, where they come from, and also like success and what it means to students and how that can kind of play into like kind of 
mitigating and introspecting and reflecting on like, you know, like what is really driving me to my career goals and is that really what I want? Um, but moving forward, um, can we briefly talk about how all these topics that we've discussed impact our mental health in some form or fashion? I've learned that it's kind of difficult to find the balance in your life between work and leisure for your occupational well-being, especially when the sacrifices your parents or my parents have made for me are pretty like grand. And it's sort of like you want to make the most of their sacrifices that they've done for you. And it just feels like you owe it to them. And I guess if you were to look at it from like a quote unquote selfish standpoint where you're like, you got to drop those expectations to sort of be happy in your life. It's really difficult to do because then it's sort of like you're making their life become pointless where like all of their efforts for you have become futile. And it's just a lot of weight that's on you. And I don't really think about it that much, partly because, you know, school is at the forefront of my brain right now. And so I guess, actually, no, I did have this like thought this morning after studying chemistry, Jay, you know, <laughs> 5 a.m. But yeah, it was like, I'm studying hard, I guess, because I feel like I owe it to my family, I guess, to do well. And Jay, I think I forgot the question. What was the question? Oh, how does it affect my mental health? Yeah, it affects my own well-being because I'm not prioritizing my sleep or my just general. I think sleep has a much bigger effect than we we think it does. And at least in my life, that's what I've learned. Like I used to be that person, like I mentioned, I was like, oh, if I'm getting more than five hours, like I'm doing something wrong. Um, and it really did create a lot of issues like for me going through undergrad. Um, what I've kind of understood, especially I've, I've tried having conversations with my parents about mental health. Um, it can be tough because they grew up in a world where for them, their problems were very much in their face, like including, you know, poverty, meeting their basic needs, and then, you know, moving, um, working hard so they can move to a different place where they can provide more. So when I bring up something like mental health, they think of it as a privileged problem because, you know, their perspective is, well, you, everything is taken care of for you. Um, so what, what do you have to be depressed about? What do you have to be anxious about? Um, which again, you know, at the time that they were growing up, I'm sure they've encountered very similar things and maybe even more, but since it wasn't openly talked about, it's a very taboo subject, um, at least like um, in, in South Asian cultures, mental health is not talked about a lot. Um, you usually just label people as crazy and then move on. Um, so I think that because there wasn't really an outlet to explore what anxiety might mean or like why they were having bursts of anger. It just became part of their personality trait. You know, it's like, oh, they're just, um, they're just very controlling. They need everything to be a certain way or they get stressed out. Um, so I think that's how they label it. And then when we bring it up as, oh, anxiety or like, oh, you might have, there might be more, more to talk about there. You know, they're like, no, that's not real. That, that doesn't count. So it's taken a little bit of give and take. And I guess just making sure that I'm still prioritizing my mental health as much as possible um, in my own ways. I feel like the pressure of trying to even figure it all out is what gets me, you know, like that uh, trying to figure out, okay, I need to be mindful of my physical and mental and all of that well-being. So like, how do I divvy up my time between my work and my projects? You know, um, back to the topic about like that familial kind of, would you say familial piety, piety, whatever that phrase is, uh, as far as your occupation and stuff like that, like just all of those pressures of life, you know, um, definitely weigh on you. And so like what helps me, I'm constantly reminding, like bringing myself back to the center of it all. Like, what do I really value in life? What is really like the most important? You know, if you strip all of this away, if this like society were to fall to the down, to the ground, um, what would remain that I still value? And as weird as that may sound, that's what helps like ground me. 
um, because it's like, you know, we have all these societal constructs, all these things coming at us on a daily basis that tell us like, this is how you should live. This is how you should think. You're a machine. You should go, 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 <laughs> you know, constantly nonstop. It's this constant push to rise to the top or whatever the case is. And like, sometimes I just have to pause and breathe and remind myself what I feel like life is about um, and remind myself that the norm doesn't have to be my standard, you know, so while whenever I'm on social media, watching TV, whatever, and there's all this pressure to go, 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 that's actually not how life has to be. It's challenging to try and like go against the grain when you live in a society like that, but I'm not going to go and right now I don't have the means to go and live somewhere where society's a little slower pace, you know? So um, just trying to figure out how to breathe and like slow down where I live in extremely fast paced America uh, is like what has been the most helpful for me as far as maintaining mental health. Everything we do with like academics and just living our lives, we're sort of trained to operate as machines to serve some sort of purpose to our society whether it's like becoming like a doctor to help improve like people's like health or like a landscaper maintaining to like you know the landscape that's like all around us um and it's like it's really strange because sometimes it's like what if you just want to step away from that whole marching band and just like march to the beat of your own drum in a way but yeah sometimes it's really difficult to do that especially when Everyone, to do your own thing is difficult. But you're allowed to. I think it's just about time for us to wrap up. But before we do, let's go ahead and go around and see what everyone would like for our audience to take away from today's conversation. My hope like the biggest takeaway that I hope everyone would get from this is maybe wrapped up in the last thing that I said, um, figuring out like your value, what matters most, or maybe even challenging your values if you like feel like they're a little unhealthy now after listening to, to this conversation. Um, be like, you know, I'm really money driven. I'm really like status driven, whatever. Um, like challenge that. And yeah, just try to like live a healthier life with those like core values, the most important things um, at the forefront and don't be afraid to go against the grain. I would say, um, and again, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but check in with yourself and take portions of time to just reflect and make sure that what you're doing is what you wanna be doing. It's um, creating a path for you to be your best self. Um, don't feel like you can't reach out for help, whether that's, you know, with your family, your friends, um, professional help, whatever, whatever will, will get you there. Um, it's really important and it can really feel like some of that load is being lifted. Um, and one of my best friends, they always say, I don't know where they got this quote from, but they say rest is rebellious. So take that time for yourself and, and create those boundaries and give yourself some time to, to rest and, and take care of what you need to take care of. The norm doesn't have to be yours, right? Like you can find your own. And this is like giving me flashbacks. I don't know if y'all seen this YouTube video, um, but I just looked it up. It's called A Valuable Lesson for a Happier Life. And it's this demonstration where he gets a jar and puts different items in it and consistently asks like a classroom, is the jar full? And people are like, yeah, yeah, it's totally full. But then he keeps putting more and more items into it. And it's an analogy that like, you know, in our lives, there are different um, items that take space, more importance than others. Um, and just like prioritizing that. And I think um, for me, at least, that's really been able to be central for my occupational well-being and mental well-being in terms of like prioritizing and going back to like, what is important? What is my purpose? And what is my like, why? My main takeaway from this conversation um, it was based off of what you had said, Francesca, about how just because just because you can doesn't mean you should. And it falls in line with setting healthy boundaries for yourself. And it's something that I really need to work on as a college student. And so it looks like this is it for today's episode. I want to thank Francesca and Carol again for joining us today. 
Um, thank you again so much. And for our audience, please stay tuned as we dive into the other dimensions of well-being for the rest of the season. Thank you.